0: Well, good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for being a part of our service tonight. We've made it to Crucifixion Friday of Holy Week. We've been talking about how we want to set our face as resolutely toward Jesus as He set it toward Jerusalem. He arrived in the city, and He came to His destiny tonight on Friday. And so, who could have imagined, right, that Holy Week would be aligned with a global pandemic where the death rate charts seem to be peaking around the time when the conversation in approximately 190 nations, about 2 billion people tonight, are talking about the death of the sinless one, the Messiah. So we're going to talk about it tonight under this question. Here's what I want to, look, out to get, look at together for a few minutes as we prepare our hearts for the communion table. So just a heads up, if, if you weren't prepared for communion, you can spend the next few minutes. You want to send someone into the pantry or whatever and grab whatever you think would be communion appropriate, and we're super flexible with that. But in a bit, I'll be leading us into the communion table under this question tonight. What good could possibly come from all of this? What good could possibly come from all of this? You know, I think the, was it the death rates today? I mean, can we have one more? It's like one more news conference, one more press briefing, one more headline that's just outlining topics like death rate and death curve and death count. I think it was around 2,000 or so folks They think uh, today are going to lose their lives and we continue to pray for all those who are affected. Our hearts go out to uh, all those who've been impacted personally or extended family and friend network and we continue to pray and give thanks to everyone who's serving on the front lines and the medical community and civic leadership like the police and fire and EMT departments that are working tirelessly through all of this. Uh, We continue to pray for you and we're grateful for all that you're doing in the midst of this dialogue that is occurring in our culture, where I think you would agree with me, right, that the conversation in America, we tend to be fairly averse towards the topic of death. We're not the kind of culture that likes to speak about it, bring the subject up. We just kind of want to push it off to the side, ignore it as long as we can possibly ignore it. And here we have just kind of one day after another, especially the last couple weeks, and it's just death death, death. It's like our own mortality is being thrust upon us. And, and some in our own church family, right? Um, some of you have been seated beside the, the loved, uh, bedside of a loved one recently. I think about the Threckhelds, the Hawkins, the Deweese family this week, and uh, the Myers family last week, and others, right? Where the reality is we've got a, a here's a shared common experience for humanity, our shared experience as humans is this. Our physical bodies are going to come to an end. Mortality is a part of humanity. And the Bible, it doesn't shy away from addressing it. In fact, you don't have to go through many pages to get to it. I think it's on page two when it first comes up. And the topic of death is raised in God's Word... Um, kind of first looking at the origin would dig down a little bit deeper. It wants to speak about the subject of death by looking at what's the source or origin of the death. Where did death come from? Because the Bible says death came as a consequence of what the Scriptures call sin. So, Romans 6.23, and I put it in your notes. If you haven't already uh, pulled out the notes sheet there, you can get it online there in the comments section. I think there's a little notes tab for you. You can follow along the screen. But Romans 6.23 says it this way. For the wages of sin is, finish it with me, death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you kind of follow the statement there from Paul when he says the wages of sin, death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. Sin, death, life, Christ. There gives you a little bit of an indicator, right? Those are little markers to say what good can possibly come of all this. There's a little window right there. And then Paul, he amplifies it a little more. I put it in your notes as well. Romans 5, he says this. Just as sin entered the world through one man, that's speaking about Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men or all people because all sinned. So here's Paul summarizing what the Bible speaks about with death. He's he's drawing all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. When God set Adam and Eve in the original setting of creation, where they were to be with him and with one another, and they were to live in perfect harmony and communion, where death wasn't a part of their original experience, death wasn't a part of the good creation that God made, Genesis 1 and 2, but he set a boundary. He put a tree. He put a fence around it, and he said, Adam and Eve You've got the freedom to take from any tree and any fruit that you want. But there's one tree in the middle of the garden, this one tree with one fence around it. Steer clear from it because Genesis 2.17 said this. God said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely, those who know your Bibles, what's the next word? You will surely die. So, Sin has always been the issue, and death has always been the consequence. Do you see that death was inserted as a consequence for the more deeply rooted issue of sin? And the simple definition of sin is James 4, 17. Anyone who knows the good they ought to do and don't do it sins. It's the I know but I don't always do. Anybody else? That's a commentary on my whole life. How about you? You know the good. We know the good we ought to do. And we, we just don't always carry it out. We fall short. It's what, when, when that occurs in our life, the Bible attached a word to it called sin. Sin has always been the issue and death has always been the consequence. And it reminded me of a time when my brother and I, we would... My brother and I who I think's tuning in today in Iowa so Brad you can jump in the chat and I'm sure they would love your color commentary. To this story. You can kind of finish out uh, the sections that maybe I skip over in that, but um, my, my brother and I, we were probably 10, 11, 12 years old, and our frequent, like, getaways for summer, we'd go a week or two at Grandma and Grandpa Long's out in the country. We grew up in central Iowa. Grandma and Grandpa Long lived out in the country. They had several acres of ground, and they had all the motorized equipment, right? They had the go-karts, and they had the mini-bikes and the motorcycles, and, and we just... We'd get in all kinds of mischief together. I mean, it was great. It was outstanding. It was a boy's palace. It was Mecca for boys. And then there's other times when we weren't working with the motorized equipment. On this particular day, I remember, we were probably 10, 11, 12 years old, and we were messing around the pine trees because we, we saw this large kind of black-like thing slithering through the pine trees, and it was a big black bull snake. Or in some place in Iowa, they call them rat snakes. There's a picture of it on your screen there. So it looked about like that. It was, it was decent size. I would say three, four feet, probably pushing four feet. And so we had the grand idea that we were going to catch this bull snake Yep, that's the stuff we did. We just want to catch this bull snake. And so we got the stick and we caught it and we put it in a container like this. So we stuck the bull snake inside of here. We put it in there. We put a little grass in there. We put a little water in there and we stuck the lid on it. And then we punched some holes around the side, you know, to give the bull snake a little air. And we looked at it. Uh, Now what are we going to do? (laughs) Brad, do you remember? Whose idea was it? I think it was your idea. That's what I'm saying right now. I think it was your idea. Where you said, "Hey, let's take it to school tomorrow." That's a great. That's a great idea. This is back like Emerson Huff Elementary School, Newton, Iowa. So Emerson Huff days back then, man, we used to have things on Monday morning like show and tell, and this would be like. Man, this would set a whole new level for show and tell. Can you see it rolling into Emerson Huff with like a four-foot-long black bull snake? This would be amazing. So we were thinking we're, we want to take it. We're going to take it to school tomorrow. There's one problem. We have to get it from Grandma and Grandpa's to home. Now, one major barrier. I think my dad might also be joining online tonight. And Dad, you feel free to jump in the chat as well here because. My dad's relationship with snakes would be in the category of hatred. Would be a nice term. Dad would be the guy with the mower. You knew dad found a snake in the grass because he would take the mower and he would just go a wall to get to the snake. I mean, he didn't care. He just he just chasing the snake until you heard the blades go chchchchchch, and then yeah, he took care of the snake. That's how my dad wanted to deal with snakes. Just chop them up under the mower blade. So Brad and I knew this about Dad, so we we, we kind of had this grand plan. We, we We had this in the container, and then we found, we found like this, we went in the garage, and it was kind of like a cloth sack, kind of looked like something like this. So we put the snake box inside the cloth bag, and then we like sealed it up. We like got it really tight, and we thought... We're trying to like convince dad, like, dad, there's just no way, like we got like this. We're like, yeah, this is going to be great. So we've got this box, we got this bag, we got the snake in here. So we go inside and we ask mom and dad to come out to the garage. We leave this out in the garage. They come out to the garage and we said, we've caught something. They're looking at us like, it's not good. Anytime two young boys are presenting this to you parents, Come on now. You know there's probably nothing really great inside here, right? So we reach inside, we open it up, and we're kind of setting it up like, man, we're just so excited. We caught this four-foot-long bull snake, and we pull it, <laughs> we pull it out, and dad was like, dad's eyes were just like, you know, he, I pull it out like this, and dad gave us the look like well, let me just say this, some language started flowing that's just beyond PG-13. All right, we'll leave it at that, kids. So the, the non-PG-13 language started to fly and he's like, he jumps back and a, what are you guys going to do with that? And we said, we want to take it to school tomorrow. I don't know how we did it. Brad, maybe you remember. I don't know how we convinced mom and dad. I don't know if you bribed them with great behavior for like a month. I don't know what we did, but we convinced mom and dad. Here's what, here's what I remember my dad's, dad saying to us. He says, boys, if you can promise me that this container is sealed tight and that little sack equally sealed tight, if you can promise me that snake's not going to escape, all right, I'm in. We said, dad, we promise. There's no way, we already named it, there's no way Blackie is getting out of here. So we get home, drive to town, put it in the, we get it in the garage, right? We put it inside the sack. We stick it in the corner of the garage. We get Blackie all said, like Blackie's all coiled up, looking like a nice long nap for the night. We're thinking good. We go to sleep. We get up. Monday morning, I think Brad and I, we woke up earlier than ever. Kind of jump, get down, get down to the garage. We get on, <laughs> we pick up the knapsack. I noticed when I grabbed it, na- it was light. It was Light. I was a little concerned. I reach inside and say, I'm looking for Blackie. I get inside and Blackie's gone. Blackie's gone. And Brad looks at me and I look at him. Mom, dad, here, here's the face. The face we had is the face of two young boys when they know they're in a pile of trouble. Like we had that. He takes a deep breath. I take a deep breath. He looks at me, the older brother, and he's like, you got a plan? I'm like, I ain't got a plan on this one. Well, mom hears us. We start like looking all over the garage. We start like moving stuff in the garage. We're moving boxes and shelves. And She hears the commotion in the garage, so mom comes out to the garage. And mom, if you're listening tonight, you can chime in at this point. Mom comes out to the garage, and she says, hey, boys, how's the snake? And I said, I said, uh, Mom, the snake's gone. And she goes, Oh, you let it, you let it go? And I said, uh, Not exactly. <laughs> it got loose. She said, Loose where? I said, In the garage. And we had a garage that was under our house, so like the house was above the garage, that so was all enclosed. Yeah, you got the picture there. So. About that time, dad comes (laughs) out to the garage because he hears all the commotion. And dad sees all of us huddled up and he says, Hey, how's the snake? "Um, Hey, Brad, I think I let you take this one. (laughs) Said, uh, Dad, the snake's gone. And he said, Oh, you guys let it go? No, it got loose. And dad, some more like non-PG-13 language start, starts flying, and he's like, where's that snake now? And he starts looking all over the garage, and he said, boys, I don't care what you got to do, but you do whatever you got to do to find that snake and get it out of this house. Well, by the way, we spent every moment before the school bus arrived trying to find black, because we want to do show and tell still. This is pretty, pretty weak show and tell, right? Nothing. Got home from school, tore the rest of the house apart. We looked behind appliances, under cabinets, around toilets. We looked everywhere. No blackie. To this day, it's a grand mystery of where the four-foot black bull snake went. And to this day, I think my mom and my dad would raise it as one of the greatest displays of, I know, but I don't always do. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do, and doesn't do it. Brad and I have a PhD in that, especially between the years of 10 and 18. We were very skilled at that on many levels. And when I look back on like, what, how did the snake get out of here? Now, well, we weren't smart enough to know that when we cut the air holes, those of you reptile-oriented folks, you know, we cut the air holes too big. Even though Blackie was quite large round in our eyes, I guess snakes are quite skilled at getting through the smallest of openings. So that's our best guess. Have no idea how he got out of the sack around him. But nonetheless, it was this great picture. And I forever carried it with me as an image of what the Bible talks about when sin was unleashed into the world, Genesis 3. It's as if the snake got out of the bag. When Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit and that four foot long Rat snake or bull snake is running loose in every household, in every heart since then. That's why we're so skilled at, I know, but I don't do. That's why we don't have to learn it. We actually just get quite good at it very young. See, sin, church sin has always been the issue. And death has always been the consequence, which brings us to tonight. What good could possibly come from the execution of an innocent man named Jesus of Nazareth? Because Jesus now steps forward and willingly offers his life. Remember what he told the disciples all week long? He said, This is how this is going to unfold. But they, like we, would have been on the struggle bus to internalize what he's talking about. And Jesus was talking about his physical death. So here's how 1 John 2 puts it. What good could possibly come from this? Listen to how John puts it. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, the righteous one, you can circle that in your Bibles, it's literally, it's talking about the Messiah. It's talking about the long-awaited anointed one, the spotless lamb of God that would rescue and redeem and restore his people. That's that phrase, the righteous one. Another way to look at it is Jesus was the kind of man who always did the right thing at the right time for the right reason in the right way. That's the Bible word righteous. He just did it right. He was sinless, sinless perfect, the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 2. He is, circle this, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Are you kidding me? Church, that's a line right there worth memorizing right there. So what good could possibly come from this the execution of the sinless Lamb of God, what good could come of it? Well, John says and Paul says, salvation, redemption, reconciliation, healing of the nations, that's all harvested out of Jesus, the righteous one, dying. Sin has always been the issue. Death has always been the consequence. And God set the payment for this death. And he said the payment was this, blood, blood was always the solution. Remember Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. See, death has always been the issue, or sin has always been the issue, death has always been the consequence, and, and blood has always been the solution. So for Jesus, when He's hanging on this cross, as those folks read the story for us, and they're hanging there and the, and the soldiers are mocking and they were beating and spitting and driving the stake and thrusting the spear and his blood was being poured out. At that moment, he wasn't shedding blood for his own sin. Hear this now. He's the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice. That's Bible speak for this. Atoning sacrifice means sufficient payment for your sin and my sin and our sin. What does John say? For the sin of the world. How amazing is that? That Jesus' death, His blood being shed wasn't for His own sin because He was sinless, which is why God calls Him and says, you're the atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world. That's tonight, church. That's the significance of tonight. What good could get harvested out of a night like this? The execution of an innocent man? They let a well-known criminal named Barabbas go. What good could come of this? And the Bible says here's what comes of it. Salvation, redemption, reconciliation, and healing of the nations. And I can't help but wonder in this cultural moment that we're in, What good could possibly come over all that we're enduring here in the spring of 2020? All the lives that are passing away, all the disappointments, all the endings, all the heartache and heartbreak and all the physical loss, economic loss, all the uncertainty. What good could come from all this disappointment, all this pain, all this suffering? What good could possibly come of it? I think Holy Week says, hey, hey, church. Take a look at the cross and remember this, that something spectacularly good can spring forth from something that appears and starts so spectacularly bad. Could it be for this cultural moment? Could it be that God tonight is sifting in our nation and literally around the world sifting this reality, we have a shared experience in humanity. We are all going to die. Our mortality is a part of our humanity. That's not a question. And equally so, we're all quite skilled at sinning. We're very, very good at I know, but I don't always do. And if you don't think you're really good at it, just ask someone who spends a fair amount of time with you they'll fill in the gaps for you. So sin has always been the issue and death has always been the the consequence. So sin being the issue and death being the consequence. Hear this now. The question then comes with, what about the blood to deal with this sin? We're going to die and we're going to stand before the God who gave us life. And he cannot wink at sin. He cannot ignore sin. He cannot push it away. God's going to look at us. How are we going to deal with this sin we're going to bring into this equation? And here's our options. We can deal with it in our own wisdom and strength. That would be like dealing with it with our own blood. Say, I've got this. I'm going to handle this. I'm going to manage my own wisdom and strength. I would say that's the equivalent of like Brad and I trying to capture the bull snake when it's out of the bag. You got no shot. Or... You can stand before the God who gave you life, and you can say, I choose. I hide myself. I cover myself in the robes of the righteous one. The blood shed by the Savior who is my atoning sacrifice, I stand before him. And I say, in Jesus' name, I stand with him. See, that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian, Someone who says they're a Christian says, at the end of the day, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die. But here's what I equally know. I know when I stand before God, I stand clothed in the righteousness, covered in the blood of the Lamb. I believe this, that something spectacularly good can spring forth out of something as spectacularly bad as the execution of an innocent man on a Roman cross on a hill called Golgotha. And so church tonight, that's the question I set before all of us. The question isn't whether we're really sinful and quite skilled at it. Sin's always been the issue. That four foot long black bull snake's been running wild in all of our lives and all of our households, no doubt about it. And make no mistake about it, death is the consequence. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And we don't know when. So the core question is this. When we stand before him. Whose blood are we going to claim at that moment? Our own merits. Our own wisdom. Our own strength. Are we going to stand and say in Jesus name. The righteous one. My atoning sacrifice. My savior. My lord. I choose him. So worship team, why don't you guys come back up. This kind of sets us up now for the communion table. So if you haven't already done so, you can kind of begin to get your elements centered around the living room there or kitchen table or wherever you're at. And as we come to the table, I first of all I want to say that the table is set and prepared for the person who's made a decision to say yes to Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to lead you through a prayer. Maybe that's where you're at tonight. You just want to say, you know what? I'm getting off the me and my and I bandwagon tonight. You say, I'm, you're going to be done managing your life the way you want to run it. You say, you're going to go, I'm getting off the my merits and I merits bandwagon. And you're going to choose Jesus tonight. You can do that for the first time and then come and take communion. You can do that right where you're at. And I'll lead you through a prayer in just a minute. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, save me. I want to be clothed with your merits. You're the righteous one. I'm not. I desperately need you. And it's also a time when the scripture says as we come to the table, 1 Corinthians says we ought to do so with a heart of examination and say, Lord, search our hearts and sift through some things. Maybe there's some things going on this week or this month or all that we're going through. Maybe there's some things and you know you've just kind of gotten all twisted around on the inside and just say, you need to get some things sorted out with the Lord. There's going to be a moment it's going to lead us through a prayer, give you a moment just to kind of get things sorted out. Maybe there's some sin that needs to be confessed an attitude and action, and whatever. There's some stuff in your heart you know. You're like, yeah, I just need to get this sorted out. So you come to the table, not perfect. You come with a heart direction towards the Lord and you take the elements as an act of worship. So collectively, we're going to take it as an act of worship because sin has always been the issue, church. And tonight definitively answers the question, what do I do with my sin? Bring your sin to Jesus and he'll bring his healing grace to you. Because death has always been the consequence and blood has always been the solution. And these elements tonight, they remind us, we choose Jesus. And that sacrifice is sufficient for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world. Let's pray together. So I'm just going to give you a moment now. Just bow your heads and close your eyes in your living rooms, around your kitchen tables for a moment. And maybe some things I said tonight or the spirits stirring in your heart. Maybe you've known all about Good Friday and the message of Good Friday. But tonight, it's gotten personal. You sense God speaking to your heart. It's time to make the cross personal. And so in your heart, all you, can, all you have to do is you just pray right now from your heart. You just say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me for my sin. I'm stepping off the me and my and I bandwagon. And I'm turning towards you. I'm done managing my life as my project, and I'm turning it over to you. The Bible word for that is repentance. You're literally turning from all the ways you've been trying to manage your life and your sin and all your stuff, and you're turning to Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. Come fill me with your spirit. And then maybe there's some others who just want to give you a moment You're a follower of Jesus. You've given your hearts to Him, but it's time for an examination moment. Just take a moment now and ask the Spirit to search your heart. If there's something that needs to be confessed, just release it to Him. It's an attitude, an action, pattern of behavior you just know is out of bounds, and you're just like, enough's enough, and you just want to confess it and release it to Him now. And then for all of us, Jesus, as the body of Christ, though not physically together in this room, but connected by the Holy Spirit through all these screens now, we just collectively now, unity of the Spirit. As an act of worship, you've told us to do this in remembrance of you. And so as we take the bread, whether it's a cracker or a cup, or whatever you got there. You take the bread, and the bread, the significance of it is you remember his body was literally torn for you. So when you tear off, you're remembering that his body was like when the Roman soldiers were flogging him, his flesh was being ripped away. That's what you're remembering through the bread. And then the cup. This cup represents his blood that was poured out. The Scriptures say as far as the east is from the west, he takes our sin from us. Sin's always been the issue. Death's always been the consequence. And blood has always been the solution. And five quarts of the Savior's blood poured out on Calvary, sufficient for the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, our sin. So Jesus, the righteous one, we partake these elements now as an act of worship in remembrance of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you just take whatever time you need at home, pass the elements around. If you need some time, the team's going to lead us through a song here. Just take the time you need to make sure you've got the space you need to share the communion elements, and then we'll have a couple of songs here, and then I'll send us off with a benediction. Well, we're going to continue to set our face towards Jesus all the way through this weekend. We enter into silence Saturday tomorrow. encourage you to get some space, go on a walk. I think it's supposed to be nice tomorrow. Maybe get outside. Just sit with Mary and John and Peter and others and sit and stare into the silence of the sealed tomb. It looked like game over. It looked like the Romans had won. It looked like the Jewish leaders had won. But church, Sunday's coming. Amen. Sunday's coming. <laughs> And you're going to want to dial in with us, 10 o'clock, invite your friends, kids. You're going to want to get that dialed in about 945 or so. Get the family around the screen because the kids' worship songs are going to begin shortly thereafter. And then uh, we're going to have a great Sunday morning service because the stone has rolled away. And we're going to dispense some resurrection hope. Anybody needs some resurrection hope breathed into these days? So I want to send you out tonight uh, with a benediction from John... Chapter 19, it's the three words Jesus spoke. Verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John 19, 30, it is finished. So may Jesus, the righteous one, may he declare it is finished over your life. Your striving is finished in Jesus' name. Your addiction is finished in Jesus' name. Your isolation is finished in Jesus' name. You carrying this burden alone is finished in Jesus' name. It is finished. And may Jesus, the righteous one, bring something forth by the power of his spirit that is spectacularly good out of of whatever it is you're staring at that looks overwhelmingly and spectacularly bad. May Jesus bring forth goodness out of that darkness. Go in his name, amen.